Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Welcome to the Running Light Podcast, what we call the Better Pleasure Podcast. My name is Bo. And I'm Peter. And we are going to do a podcast today on the most famous thing ever, and it's called Cake Gender. <laughs> That's right. Cake Gender. Yeah, people this are, is not a joke. This is not a joke. This is the real deal. But first, we're going to uh, play something and see if uh, hopefully we can get it to play and you guys could hear it. Okay, I would describe xenogenders as a gender that could not typically be described with terms such as masculinity, femininity, neutrality, androgyny, things like that. It's more of not how you relate to a particular gender um, experience, but more of how you relate to things. For example, cake gender. Um, I know a few people who personally use this. Um, it's typically described as them feeling light and fluffy or sweet and warm and it's not something that you could typically describe with the terms masculine feminine androgynous etc another example of cake gender would be if someone feels like they have different layers or flavors to their particular gender okay so people are identifying as cake gender and the running light podcast is always talking about the bible love lust and life and really breaking down some of our culture today and we've all heard about different gender identities that's pretty popular yeah and now we have one that this young girl looks like she's a whopping been alive on the earth maybe 16 years maybe and she is breaking down the education of Cake gender, xenogender, xenogender, so, <laughs> and cake gender is a is a subcategory within it. So, gender used to describe people in terms of their biology, right? So, back in the day, a whole whopping twenty years ago, from that from that point to the beginning of mankind's history, we've really only seen gender in two forms: male and female. And gender had everything to do with your biological component and makeup. And it was what referenced you towards the opposing gender and enabled us to procreate and things like that. Nowadays, gender has taken many different forms. We're, we were told that gender is a spectrum. So on the ends of the spectrum are male and female, but there are many genders in between that spectrum that comprise different combinations of masculine and feminine traits. But now, now we have a whole new spectrum. So this is not a spectrum on terms of masculine and feminine. Xenogenders have nothing to do with masculinity or femininity. This has everything to do with, as she puts it, how you relate not to people, but to things. And so she gives an example being cake, that you could feel like a, like a cake in that you're light and fluffy or that you're a layered individual. And it's very difficult to identify your gender. So, uh, you know, as a uh, <laughs> as an awesome Gen Xer coming from the nonconformist worldview. That's right, going against the grain. Going against the grain. How do you see this new gender's attempt to overly identify themselves with stuff like I this? I find it super cool that young people have so much time on their hands. <laughs> <laughs> and they're so bored with music and tattoos and earrings and nose rings and all the cool things you can get into in the world as a young person 
especially things that we did, that now like they've kind of really attached themselves to a certain narcissistic philosophy. Hmm. And, you know, it's like you would always think like, man, I want my kid to be really into education. I really want them to be into philosophy. <laughs> you know, I don't want them to get a nose ring. Man, those tattoos really suck. Like, gosh, what rebellious kids. You know, I wish mine was more into the, you know, the quiet ph philosophical, you know, approach to life. Well, they are. <laughs> <laughs> they are now, man. Even though they got a nose ring, it really uh, has nothing to do with their rebellion in a sense. Um, now it, it seems like people are outwitting themselves even when it comes to gender identity. Yeah. So, right, where, you know, gender... Even if I looked up the, uh, this is from transadvocate.com. So this is very pro transgender. And what is the difference between sex and gender? Of course, it describes sex as being a biological component, sex being a, uh, a kind of dis, uh, a physical uh, phenomena, like a social phenomena. Uh, gender and they kind of try to split that up and one of these days we'll go through this and mm -hmm. see if we can break it down a little bit of what they're talking about but yeah. that's kind of usually the 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 rhetoric right is right. that sex is biological gender is social right right uh so for those that are listening uh sex is just describing biologically the parts right and gender is describing how you see yourself in the contextual world right something like that right so the gendered term would be uh would be man and woman the sex term is male and female uh now now obviously you get into a lot of problems with the transgender ideology because uh there's a lot of just overlap and People will point out, they're like, well, the, the term gender, the idea of gender has been around forever. And, and they're right. That is true. Uh, most language languages contained gendered nouns and adverbs and verbs. Uh, so if you know Spanish, if you know Latin, if you know um, French, all these languages have gendered nouns. You, you have to ascribe some sort of a gender to them. And because of it, we understood gender to be masculine versus feminine. However, we never applied that to ourselves. We never thought like, oh, I ascribe a gender to you. We just thought that sex and gender when it came to human beings was synonymous, that it was possible to have an effeminate man, but he's still a man. And it was possible to have a very masculine woman, but she's still a woman. And in fact, even, you know, you read the Bible and there are people who are uh, transvestites in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You have men dressing and acting and behaving as women, and you have women dressing and acting and behaving as men. That was common in the ancient world, but they still understood biologically, I am a man, or biologically, I am a female. They had their roles within society, and they kind of bucked against society by challenging those roles, but they never did away with the roles altogether. It's kind of a new advent. And, and I like what you said about uh, this kind of philosophical self-introspection. So there's there's this idea. And by the way, every single time that someone does this, if you ever study philosophy, there are people who just kind of sequester themselves on mountaintops and things like that. I was just reading about a sect of Christianity yesterday where they would build 
poles, like legitimate poles on a mountain, and they would go and sit on them for long periods of time, and they would have their disciples come and take their excrement and their waste down the mountain. So these people would just continue to just kind of poop themselves and sit up on these poles for hours and hours and hours meditating on the deeper things of life. And what you always find in philosophies that do that is people go nutty. The ideas that they come up with have nothing to do with reality. They are always crazy. They never benefit the world. These people spend all their time thinking and they come up with just ridiculous, stupid ideas because God did not design us to be people who sit on a mountaintop and figure out the mysteries of the world. God designed us to be relational. So we're supposed to get into relationships with other people. We're supposed to put ourselves into our communities. We're supposed to relate to our parents. We're supposed to relate to our friends. We're supposed to get boyfriends and girlfriends. We're supposed to date. We're supposed to think about marriage. We're supposed to be in our church community. We're supposed to join a band, join a counterculture, be in, be in any type of society. <laughs> and you start to figure out kind of who you are by bouncing your personality off of different people And it starts to sharpen you up a little bit as iron sharpens iron. So does one man's countenance sharpen another's, right? So my, my countenance, my face, the the way that I think, the way that I behave, the way I present myself to the world is, is honed. It's sharpened by my interaction with other people. That's how it happens. But modern day kids, they don't do that. They really are like the people sitting on a mountaintop. They, they feel like they're with other people because they're on the internet but they're not actually interacting with anyone. Yeah, this is this TikTok um post that came out with, with this young girl and the whole gender of what's it called? Zeno? Zeno gender. Zeno gender? Doesn't matter, it's a made up word. Yeah. It, and that's what it is. It's like when you when you are when you it's a product of a culture that has massive amounts of money massive amounts of time right leisure time right you know have you ever heard of like doing your budget financially and then what is left is called what (laughs) surplus surplus right you have some surplus you know (laughs) well we have like time surplus right on our hands uh and because you know people aren't out pulling weeds and making their own food and building their homes and starting you know jobs from the ground up you know their their businesses from the ground up and uh, needing to create uh, uh, a living for survival purposes survival is no longer the issue anymore right right so you have you know young people that are all online talking to one another mm-hmm. bored out of their brains mm-hmm. over abundance of everything and literally now they're it's like language porn right that's what it's become language right. porn no it is yeah. where it's an abundance you know when we think of porn we think of an abundance yeah. of sex <laughs> a pornocopia yeah. yeah it's a pornocopia of language where yeah. it's we're making we're making it up man we're yeah. making it whatever up but it's just fun right you know and it's all built on experience on individual experience and because there's a uh, a plethora of human beings on the planet there can be a plethora of experience of ideas and experiences of, yeah so it's just like a never ending 
uh, growth. Right. You know, it's like Dungeons and Dragons on steroids. You can make up your own anything. Right. You know, uh, you know. No, you're absolutely correct. So it's like back in the day, if I went to Bo, me and him were hanging out and I was just like, hey, man, I think I'm uh, I kind of identify as a cake. You know, like hopefully I'm a little fluffy. Yeah, I'm a little fluffy. I feel sweet today. I feel layered. Hopefully, Bo's a good enough friend to be like, Peter, you're not a cake. You just, well, you and, just, and, you and, just and, and then give him a shovel. Yeah, he'd be like, why don't we go? Let's why don't we go, go help someone? Let's out? go dig a ditch. We got to do this. This is our job. That's you right. Know? Okay, great. You know, and that's how conversations probably went back in the olden days. That's right. And even, even I think about when I was a kid. And you probably think about it. we we call it bullying, and there was bullying. Don't get me wrong, there was bullying yeah. when I was a kid. Yeah. But I think we overemphasize bullying to include any type of criticism. But I remember hanging out with my friends, and we would always razz each other. Right. right? Everything we did, whatever we wore, whatever we said, we'd be like, yeah, "That's dumb," you know. We'd make fun of each other, and like it wasn't bullying. It was that kind of sharpening thing, where people were challenging you of like. And guys would do it in, in a more abrasive way. Yeah, and you'd think in your mind, like, hey, is what I said really stupid? Yeah, is it lame? <laughs> you know, you'd have to, like, think about it. But now you could just put something out there on the internet. And no one could say, and, critique it. And anyone who critiques it, you could block. And anyone who likes it, you you receive that, like, that validation. Yeah. And anyone who dislikes it, again, you just distance yourself from. So, in other words, you've created an echo chamber where you can't hear anything but your own thoughts. So you're not actually being challenged. Yeah. And like I said, the kids today really do. They look at challenge, being challenged as being like bullied or oppressed. You know, I was counseling someone the other day and they said that their wife said, you oppress me. And I kind of, I kind of chuckled a little where I was like, that's a, that's a new one for me as a counselor. Like, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say, I feel oppressed by you. Like right. I've heard someone say like, I feel, I feel wronged by you. I feel like you don't listen to me. I yeah, feel like you, you don't respect me. me. You hurt me. But that oppression language is so yeah. is so strong in our culture right now where people just feel like any amount of criticism, any amount of strain in the relationship is like oppression, like they're being beaten down by some force or something. Yeah, and certainly it's difficult for that kind of generation that is not getting any crit criticism to know really how to respond to criticism as, as they grow. Right. You know, how do I deal with criticism? How do I deal with getting an F? How do I deal with adversity? And that's really one of the big arguments against that kind of philosophy hmm. is that you're not really preparing, uh, you know, this 15 year old for, you know, the world, right. you know, in many ways. Right. And uh, so it, you know, in a way it's a manufactured problem to me, it's not one that uh, is was around uh, too commonly in the world, hmm. you know, uh, especially in the biblical world or even, you know, post-biblical writing world. Uh, you know, this wouldn't have been a big topic simply because it wouldn't matter what you said about <laughs> your gender or what you thought about your sex. Yeah. It was, here's the shovel. We got to work. Yeah. You got to do something. Yeah. It, there was, there was survival. Right. That became the priority. Right. Where, you know, obviously we're, this, this child is beyond spoiled. Right. Right. Is, right. is beyond. You wouldn't spoiled. see someone in Africa <laughs> that's right. posting this TikTok video. Yeah. yeah in, in a yeah. lot of parts of Africa. Right. Or a lot of the poverty in uh, certain Asian uh, uh, areas. Right. Or even, even you don't, 
you don't see this in ghetto language. Right. You know, this isn't ghetto talk. Right. You wouldn't you wouldn't be on the south side of Tucson. And yeah. Someone in the barrios like, like yeah, yeah, dude, you know. I think I'm a cake. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm a cake. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not that way. You know, it's uh, this person. You play the video. And it's, uh, you know, a, a girl who's got glasses and she's been able to afford glasses. So obviously she goes to a vision specialist. You know, she probably has doctors in her life. She probably has parents that have insurance. She probably lives in a home and and is, uh, has a phone. Obviously, she's putting stuff on TikTok. Um, so she has a lot of things. And probably, if I were to guess, she probably has a lot of time on her hands. Yeah. And uh, time and technology, you know, yeah, gets you into weird things. Gets you into and and this things. is a theme you see in the Bible. So, in the Bible, if you go to the Old Testament, every time that Israel kind of reaches this point of prosperity, they go a little nutty. They start incorporating these weird ideas into their country, and they start bowing down to bizarre pagan gods. And yeah, deities. don't put. I just read today in my morning devo. Uh, in Deuteronomy 16, I think it was, but it said, "Hey, don't don't make the wooden pole." Right. And you mentioned poles. Right. And it says, "Don't make the wooden pole." And it says, "And don't put up the sacred pillar." And you, know? and you almost get this idea that God's like, you know, you guys have a knack for for like you know putting up some interesting things, and you start doing some funky things with those things, you know. No, and, absolutely. And you yeah. talked about people sitting up on poles. Yeah, and, just like sit literally on a pole, <laughs> man. And they think this is the path of enlightenment. That's and right. and again, God's like, no. And so there's there's a couple other passages in the New Testament that are even more emphatic. Where uh, I'm thinking about in First Timothy, where Paul's talking about widows, and he's saying to the widows, like, you can't just give them money, Timothy. And allow them to sit around idle. That they become wanton. That's wanton. right. Yeah. Wanton. What a weird word. I know. <laughs> wanton. And busybodies and yeah. other people's affairs. And some people are like, oh, Paul's a sexist. You know, he's he's thinking that women, if they just have time on their hands, they're just going to go around to men would be even worse. Right. <laughs> I've So when we were uh, coming home from Afghanistan, we had an entire month where we did nothing. Like literally nothing. And the reason why you don't do anything is because they're trying to decompress you from combat. So you're not a freaking weirdo when you go home. <laughs> and so we're just sitting in a tent for a month and we would just talk about the dumbest stuff. Like you, when you don't have you anything practical to do, you do become a little nutty. You do go into weird and dysfunctional and self-destructive kind of mental, uh, mental paths, you know? So there's this principle again in the Bible that we're supposed to work. Uh, you know, in Second Thessalonians, he tells them, he's like, do not be idle, busy bodies. He says, work with your own hands for anyone who does not work also will not eat. In First Timothy 6, he talks to the rich and he says, do not trust or be haughty in your present riches, but be rich in your works unto God. So he's saying, like, don't just sit on your laurels and say, like, hey, I got all this money. I'm going to chill out and just kind of spend my retirement cruising the sea of galilee or whatever i'm gonna he's paul's like no, no no like use your resources use your talent use your mind help those around you if you're affluent and you're wealthy and part of it just seems to be good moral advice but part of it seems to be paul saying if you don't do that if you don't utilize your wealth and your money and your finances to do this you kind of become a little nutty yeah and that's such a good point a second point too related to uh the bible's admonition 
is that you are always to remember and look to what God has said in the past. Hmm. Uh, and this is important is that there there needs to be an education of what has already been said. Right. And this is what this young girl obviously is not really looking to, hmm. meaning she's not really at being with her time. She's not looking at what has been said in the past. Right. She's not learning about like history of the past. Why did they say that? Why? Yeah. Why? You know, what, what, you know, go into the arguments, go into, uh, you know, especially classical philosophy, right. Understanding things a little more solid, right. being more on a solid foundation. Right. And the Bible's always pointing to that. Hey, the Kings were to read the law, right. uh, actually once a year, right. Um, they were to read the law of God. And that was, t- so that if they had their spare time, yeah. you know, they they always go, Oh, I remember what was said. Yeah. You know, the foundation. I was actually just thinking about this today. It's so funny. I was thinking about Rehoboam, uh, Solomon's son. Yeah, Solomon's son. And here's a dude who's raised in affluence, Yep. super wealthy, just given the kingdom right. simply because he's Solomon's son. And we have hints, by the way, in Solomon's writings that Solomon knew this guy was a knucklehead. Right. Right. So in Ecclesiastes, he expresses worry about giving his stuff <laughs> about to his kid. His stuff to his kid. And so he, he dies. Rehoboam gets it. And Rehoboam has two different people. He's got young guys and he's got older guys. And the older guys are like, hey, man, we saw we were with your dad through his entire rule. He did a lot of things right. So just keep doing those things. But one of the things he did wrong is we feel like he gave too many taxes to the people. So lighten them up. They'll love you. And then his friends were like, no, man, that's dumb. What do these old guys know? Dude, Nothing. you should yeah, you should tax them more. You know? right. like, you know, show them you're the boss. Show bro. them you're the boss. Dude, they're going to walk all over you if you do that. And yeah. so he ignores the past wisdom. And what does he do? He splits the kingdom. And I think he's just such a perfect corollary for what's going on in the modern world where, again, the, the people today – don't think that the past has anything to teach them. Right. No education. That's right. Right. And so this this lady speaks, this young girl speaks just from her her current understanding of things. Right. Uh, so, you know, she doesn't really have a good solid idea of logic or philosophical foundations when she's speaking. Mm. Um, you don't really hear that. It's just a lot of um, random, arbitrary things right. even made up things yeah you know hey this is this and hey there's this and that and it's all just made up but yeah. it's it's very uh it's very elusive that's right it's not rooted in anything that has been like known as a, an established fact now that's that's a good point that you bring up so i've been studying michelle foucault i don't know mm-hmm. if you ever learned about him in, in college Mm-mm. I figure since you're in California, they would teach you about him because he was like this French philosopher Mm -hmm. and he was way into all the stuff that we're talking about. Very interesting guy, led a kind of a wreck of a life, Uh, was gay and was into BDSM and crazy stuff. And he died young from AIDS, but he had this weird. So if you've ever heard the phrase knowledge is power, I'm trying to figure out if he was the first person to originate that, but he did say that. And he actually meant something very different than what you and I mean when we say knowledge is power. What we mean when we say knowledge is power is that knowledge is a pathway to power. So the more educated I become, the more I understand the world around me, 
the more adept I'll become at being able to accumulate power, wisdom, and success. What he meant was that knowledge was this set of rules and strictures and ideas that were controlled by the powerful. So in other words, he saw all education as almost like a form of indoctrination. Right. Where the, the powerful who had, who had created these structures and these philosophies are just kind of shoving these ideas down for arbitrary reasons onto people underneath. And so all knowledge, all words, all these things are just power dynamics. All, all, all kind of uh, organized conformity. Exactly. And so he believed that the only way to kind of break free from that is to realize like, Everything when you say that's true, that's a power game. Yeah, into, he, he's in more into individualistic um, uh, education. Exactly, and very subjective. Right. Very subjective. It'd have so, to be if it was individual. Absolutely. So if I say like, dude, there's only two genders, he's like, that's a power game. Right. You're trying to trap me in your hierarchy of man and woman to put me opposed with women. He's like, but I believe that there are no men and women. Right. So. All truth, all knowledge is just a power dynamic. Yeah, and if you don't go, if you're not looking at the past and what has been taught in the past and sifting through it as far as what has been established fact or fiction, yeah. then you force the, yourself as a human being to rely on individualistic education. Right. And so you're not going off of anybody else's uh, teachings, right. but now those things are just there. They're they're maybe for themselves personally, right. but they're not for any of the collective, right? For the group, right? So their their group think is bad, right? You know, so there must be I the way the way I show my my beautifulness, my value, right, is through individual education, yeah, which is really odd, yeah, because a human being has a really hard time to individually educate themselves that's right <laughs> right so the reason why humanity is the only species that grows that develops is because we could teach each other no other species on the planet can do that so if you ever wonder like why don't primates ever get smarter like why don't they ever build anything it's because they don't have the ability to teach each other anything like just think if, if, if a human if you were if this individualistic education was happening and you, you went into a, and this is what you're saying is happening by the way, yeah. through technology, but you go into a room and you are your teacher, right? You're the teacher. Right. And you're like, okay, I'm here to learn math. And who's <laughs> going to teach you? You. Yeah. And you're like, I am. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, you are. <laughs> and it's you, that's you right. know? And you're like, okay, well, I don't really know much. Well, that's fine. Yeah. You know, that's okay. You know? And what you're saying is that online, in that in those communities, that's yeah. what you have. That's right. You have a lot of you. That's right. Teaching you. You just have an echo chamber. So it's like yeah. whatever you currently believe, you can find things on the internet that validate that current belief. Yeah. So you never have to be challenged. You never have to think maybe this is wrong. Yeah. You know, maybe what I'm thinking right now is inaccurate. Yeah. And that's that's like a big issue. That's why there are a lot of people who are really contesting. You know, Jordan Peterson, he really became famous for this issue. Yeah, for contesting the the gender ideology. Yeah, the, the, yeah, that so kind of In Canada, they were like you're going to like if someone transitions, you're going to have to call them by that pronoun. And he said no. It's like I'm not going to do it. And basically what he said is like if you come to me personally, right. and right. you say like hey, I identify as female, I prefer that you call me by this name. Yeah, he was totally Yeah, cool he with was that. like absolutely. But if the government tells him 
you must do this. He's like, no, right, <laughs> I right. will not do it yeah. because that is a dangerous road to go down. Right. And that's the whole point where he's, he's not a, he's not really Christian or anything, but his firm belief is that humanity and people individually can't grow unless they put their ideas out there and have those ideas kind of attacked a little bit. Yeah. And they have to defend themselves and they have to defend what they believe and they have to think about the past in order to kind of structure themselves in a different way. Yeah. And they grow and they evolve as a result. So, you know, the reason why we have, you know, for thousands of years, this, this enduring structure of men and women is because it works. You have to have men and women to have babies, right? There's, it's just, it's functional. There's a way that is just so clear. The design of God is so obvious that you don't have to have any knowledge of the true and living God to see the obvious truth that there are men and women and we have a binary sex system and that binary system allows us to procreate and to raise children. It's very obvious, but in our culture, we would take even the most obvious things and strip them down to say like, no, we could do better than that. Yeah. You know, I know this is what nature is. I know this, you know, what the old people thought, but we could do something different. And that's what makes really lasting philosophies last. That's right. Right. Is things that work. Is they work. Is they're functional. If they don't work, then everyone who believes it's going to die. Well, all of <laughs> so. us, I mean, most of us grew up in cliques and crews or whatever you want to call them in school and we all had our little ph philosophical ideas right. on life right but it's amazing how many of us uh actually had children right. and raised kids right and even though we had all these great philosophies of how lame it was to get married <laughs> and how lame it is to have children right like how lame it is to buy a house or how yeah. lame it is to go to work yeah or and we had all those great philosophies you know made up cool words and you know and uh, all that as kids it's it's a just super ama it. it's amazing how, <laughs> how the philosophies broke down as we got older <laughs> and we ended up conforming to this this way of going about things. That's right. You know, and, uh, but yeah, it's some of the comments of this young girl's uh, talk about cake gender and Zeno, well, really, which is a product of Zeno gender. Yeah. And it was, um, one of them said, these people want to feel special so bad. <laughs> and the other, another person said, we have failed this generation of children and multiple other generations too. Thank you, wise and authoritarian big brother government for that. <laughs> they want power and child poverty is one side effect of that power grab. So it's kind of an interesting idea, I think, the second one, yeah. in the sense that uh, – uh, sometimes power comes through people's ignorance. Right. Sometimes power structures can stay in power. Right. Uh, as the younger generation becomes more and more ignorant. Right. And um, illogical. Right. And uh, where they now have really no good philosophical framework to really battle, uh, you know, the the power structures. No, absolutely. You know. So if if everything's subjective in their minds, then hey, why go against the government? Exactly. You know, um, there's this great. I I was telling Bo earlier this week. I'm studying classical education, and um, Dorothy Sayers and and classical education, by the way, it's uh, it was a form of education present in the medieval times, and it was utilized not just to educate people on subjects, but to teach them how to think critically. So the 
last part of classical education is you actually have to educate yourself and your teacher will challenge you. So it's like, you'll have to, they'll be like, Hey, we're going to have, you know, figure out a subject you want to study. So you choose it yourself. This is as you get older. This is when you're in the high school kind of area of your education. Of classical education. And then you would be able to, to figure things out. And then your teacher would actually debate you and you would have to defend your premises. In middle school, it was the opposite. So the teacher would present you with facts and you would have to challenge the teacher. You have to be like, well, why is that the case? Is that really true? And the teacher would have to defend themselves. And it was teaching kids that like, this is normal. This is healthy. This is how we figure out things. And it teaches them how to do it. And she, she says something really, really cool about the lack of this education and what it's done. Now, let me, let me read a quote from this, this, um, this essay that she gave. And, and by the way, Dorothy Sayers, was just a, she was a good friend of J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, very bright woman. I think she was the first woman to graduate Oxford. Mm. So really bright. Um, but anyway, she says, has it ever struck you as odd or unfortunate that today when proportion of literacy throughout Western Europe is higher than it has ever been, people should have become susceptible to the influence of advertisement and mass propaganda to an extent hitherto unheard of and imagined? Do you put this down to the mere mechanical fact that the press and the radio and so on have made propaganda much easier to distribute over a wide area? Or do you sometimes have an uneasy suspicion that the product of modern educational methods is less good than he or she might be at a disentangling fact from opinion and the proven from the plausible. Mm. Isn't that a good quote? Yeah, so they no longer know what's true, what's not true. And they don't even know how to challenge what's true. <laughs> they don't know how to challenge. True. And yeah, because they don't have those foundations. They're That's not right. looking back. So interesting. It's an interesting podcast. Uh, very cool one. And uh, hey, TikTok is making rounds, man, with the xenogender. And, you know, I could come up with one called like Bebo gender. Yeah. <laughs> like I just, again, you know, that's the interesting thing about the. That's right. You could come up with whatever you want. Any, any person could say anything. Uh, real real quick before we sign off. So this is kind of a conspiracy theory, but I think it's kind of funny. Yeah. And I believe it to a certain extent. So this one person points out that TikTok has this really intuitive, I've never gone on TikTok before, but it has a very intuitive algorithm when it comes to promoting videos. So in other words, it's not that people are looking for videos like this, TikTok presents it to you and you it just comes up on your feed and you'll watch it. And you'll probably be on YouTube or something like that or Facebook and you'll see things on your feed and you'll click on them. That's how TikTok does it. It has a very intuitive algorithm for promoting videos that they want to promote. Now, interestingly, the algorithm is created by the Chinese. Literally, TikTok is run by China. And in China, the algorithm is different. Now, this is indisputable. This is the facts. In China, the algorithm is different than what it is in the West. So in China, the kind of videos that are being promoted are videos where kids are winning science fairs and they're like writing poetry and they're they're doing things that help the society, you know, right. but in our culture, the algorithm promotes videos where people are talking about xenogenders and <laughs> stuff like that. And some people have thought that this is like this elaborate plan by the Chinese to just, to just destroy America, down. to make us so stupid that we can't fight back. And it's like, it's funny, but at the same token, you're like, yeah, well, if you can't, you know, if you can get a society to, to lose logic, right and lose objective reality 
uh, then they can't, they cannot talk with you anymore. They can't communicate properly with you. Right. You've won. Right. Uh, you could go in there and you could lay out something. Hey, we're going to take over your land. Hey, we're going to do this. And you just kind of fall into a blank. You're like, okay. You, you're like, huh? Cause you don't know how to enter conflict. Right. You know, because conflict has always been something that is oppressive. Right. Is deemed oppressive. And since so, truth is so malleable, you know, two things that Orwell pointed out in 1984, first was the concept of newspeak, that he taught the generations a new way of communicating, and it created a separation between the elite class and the lower class, but then they also indoctrinated the kids in the newspeak. Hmm. So it separated the kids from the parents. And then there was, because truth was changing so rapidly, people, they called them memory holes where they would throw something, literally they would throw facts, they would throw books and literature and uh, articles, they would throw them in these memory holes and they would just be incinerated. So people would like forget, they would literally forget what happened 10 minutes ago where he, he uh, the author, the narrator in the book, 1984, he talks about this moment where he's listening to a speech where the guy was railing against one country in the beginning of the speech and he switches halfway through the speech and starts railing against a completely different country and talking about how the original country that he said were their enemies in the beginning of the speech are their best friends. And everybody just buys it because they're not only are they dumber, but their memories, because truth is so rapidly evolving, mm. their memories are not good anymore. They don't know how to access the past in any meaningful way. And so they'll just believe it. They'll be like, oh, yeah, totally. That was always true. So true. So Psalm 115, good one, right? <clears throat> Which talks about us making idols. Where, and uh, as we make our own idols, we become foolish like our idols. Yeah. And uh, you know, so you know, you really beholding is becoming. Yeah. You know, and when you behold a philosophy that is not rooted in uh, anything um, objective, and everything becomes arbitrary, then really your reasoning becomes very arbitrary yeah. and you become quite foolish, you know, and, and there's ramifications for that, right? Yeah. Um, in many ways. So, um, and power structures obviously love it when people can get dumb, yeah. you know, and, and we've seen that throughout history. So good podcast. We'll talk to you guys later. Thanks for joining us on the better pleasure podcast. Take care. Bye-bye. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.